0: That third verse there, I think, really has some themes is what we've been seeing in Revelation. Um, Let me seek your kingdom only and my life be to your praise. And that is our response in converting to, by the grace of Christ, to becoming a new creature in him. Our worship and our praise, our new song is given over to him. You alone shall be my glory. I won't I won't glory in myself anymore. That's false worship. That's what the followers of the beast do. But nothing in this world I see. You have cleansed and sanctified me. You yourself have set me free. That is the song and the theme we will sing for all eternity. And so grateful for that. Well, turn back. And you might have noticed this morning, if you were being attentive, that we didn't get through Revelation 14. And I meant to to stop um, halfway through. We're going to go to Revelation 14, verse 14, finish. And then that, that was a longer chapter, and 15 was a shorter chapter. And the theme here seemed to, to come together from the end. From this point in chapter 14, we'll make it through the end of chapter 15 tonight. Um as encouraging I, as I hope, anyway, the message was this morning, and a reminder of the victory that we have in Christ. There is another aspect of God's character that is really focused on this that we normally don't look at and get warm, fuzzy feelings about. And yet, God's people, even though it's terrible, and uh, God's judgment is is something that should be sobering. It should be for God's people something that we expect and look forward to in the sense of we see the vindication of Scripture and the fulfillment of Scripture um, and the reality and the truth that we have warned people of will come and God's righteousness will be revealed. And so tonight, um, it's terrible, but at the same time, God's people will worship and sing praise for the wrath of God. We're going to see tonight the wrath of the Almighty. And again, that's not something we normally think of as far as singing praises about. I don't know how many songs there are written or hymns about the wrath of God. But uh, we will see one, a song of praise and response to the wrath of God tonight in verse chapter 15. And so this helps us to get our perspective corrected and righted in the midst of this. God's wrath is coming upon these that have rejected him, upon Satan and Satan's minions and those who follow after him in false worship. They will be dealt with. And, of course, we saw that this morning in that terrible but true description of the lake of fire, eternal judgment, very sobering, ought to break our hearts and really motivate us to share the love of Christ, the gospel of Christ. And this chapter we will do that as well. So we'll see the wrath of the Almighty tonight. And let's go to chapter, let's just read from chapter 15, uh, verse 2 through 4, the praise song here. Then we'll get back to the middle of chapter 14. And I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire, and also those who had conquered the beast and its image, and the number of its name standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hands, and they sing the song of Moses. Remember, we had uh, Paul read read for us that song this morning of deliverance. The servant of God and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy, all nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. Remember, this is the song written about the Lamb and what he has accomplished. Lord, thank you for the truth and reality of these things. This is something, Lord, that even your people don't like to focus a lot on, and that is the judgment and wrath that comes from you on sin. And even as we read some of the terrible things that must take place because man has rebelled against you and raised his fist um, in defiance and false worship. At the same time, Lord, it is the vindication of all those who have proclaimed God's word, who have warned. And even as Noah was vindicated in the flood, so in this judgment we will be vindicated for proclaiming your truth. And that will be a glorious time. So, Father, help us to understand why and, that, and and believe that judgment's coming and proclaim and warn those of it and give to them the way out through faith in Jesus Christ. Help us to do that boldly, for it's in his name we pray. Amen. The wrath of the Almighty really as well. It's the wrath of the Lord Jesus in summary here. But with all of that, that I just mentioned about the wrath of God, these first couple verses, and go back to Revelation 14:14, 14, 14, have been a little hard to interpret, and there's a number of, well, there's actually just two, I think, main interpretations, and I may be taking one that's a little less known, but I think it is the accurate one. This this chapter uh, 14 is the preview of what's going to happen throughout the rest of the book, and that's going to continue in these last verses of chapter 14. Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and seated on the cloud, one like a son of man, with a golden crown on his head, and a sharp sickle in his hand. Now, do you remember another chapter? It, well, as far as the identity of this person. You remember in the Old Testament, a chapter where it really uses some of the same verbiage here. We've gone and looked at it before. It's Daniel 7. Go ahead and turn to Daniel 7. Because Daniel prophesied this very thing that John tells us about now. Daniel 7 verses 13 and 14.
1: And it says, I saw
0: in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations and languages shall serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away and his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. Notice that people are given to him in this. And so I think that does help our interpretation as we go back to Revelation 14, 14. This is Jesus Christ. He is the Son of Man. He has the victorious golden crown on his head. He's seated on the cloud, just like Daniel said that he would. But he has a sharp sickle in his hand. Now, as we read through the rest of this, and we read the judgment that will come with the swinging of the sickle, we might have a tendency to read these verses as the beginning of that judgment. But I think we need to be careful with that. Verse 15 has something interesting. Another angel, now we're going to continue to have a lot of angels interacting here and coming into play. Another angel came out of the temple, the heavenly temple, calling with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, Put in your sickle and reap, for the hour to reap has come for the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. So he who sat on the clouds swung his sickle across the earth, and the earth was reaped. Now, as one thing that's interesting here, if this is Jesus, and we it obviously is by the correct interpretation, it seems like you have an angel that comes out and telling the Son of Man what to do. That doesn't seem appropriate. Remember, even in Jude, when we're studying Jude, that Michael was very careful Not to pronounce any kind of judgment from his own authority. This may seem a little strange here, but notice that this angel comes out of the temple. And I think part of this is more, I don't know if this is as much a command as an announcement. That he's saying, The hour to reap has come, the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. And he's going to describe what Jesus is about to do here. But I also think that this is a messenger sent from a, with a heavenly message straight from the Father to the Son. So we shouldn't get too caught up on the angel telling the Son of Man what to do. This is a message from the Father telling Jesus that the time of the harvest is right. Now again, that sounds like Jesus himself. It says he sat on the cloud and swung his sickle, and we're going to see in the next few verses that an angel comes and this is judgment. And there are a number of interpreters that then look at this and say, Jesus is also, this is representative of his judgment. And can totally understand why they would say that. A lot of good men um, sense that. Some that I read just kind of gave both interpretations and didn't say which one that they (laughs) they agreed with. But I think in context here and in context of Daniel, remember, you have the lamb, That's with his people, the 144,000, that has provided them victory, that has brought them through. And uh, I think that the best interpretation for this with Christ is that this is his reaping of the harvest of his people. Before the harvest of judgment comes by this next angel, this is Christ reaping his harvest, bringing these people to safety. That then fits the picture that we saw at the beginning of this chapter, and it also then, I think, fits the Daniel prophecy better. So, uh, and it's a nice contrast then between the judgment. Remember in Revelation, although um, the Lamb of God is the one that breaks open the seals, it is these angels that come forth with this judgment. And we're going to see toward in, in chapter 15, seven angels that are um, given seven bowls of wrath to distribute over the earth. So I think it's best to look at this as before this terrible final time of judgment happens, the Son of Man brings a harvest of deliverance and delivers his people from this terrible time because God's wrath is going to affect the whole earth. and So Christ is going to take his people out of this before that happens. So it's a picture, really, of hope and comfort in that Jesus will be there for his people his people are taken out of the way and now the final judgments will come and this next few verses kind of is a representation of all of the judgment that will take place then at the end of the tribulation the final um the final aspect of these of this judgment and bowls of wrath this kind of sums up all of that look at verse 17 We have a harvest of deliverance from Christ, and now we have a harvest of judgment from God sent by this angel. Another angel came out of the temple in heaven, and he too had a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar. Now that's the altar of incense, I believe, where um, the martyrs were underneath and protected. And the angel who had authority over the fire, that means authority over judgment. Fire is many times a picture of judgment as you would expect. And he called with a loud voice to the one who had the sharp sickle. Put in your sickle and gather the clusters from the vine of the earth for its grapes are ripe. So the angel swung his sickle across the earth and gathered the grape harvest of the earth and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the picture only gets more disturbing from there. Well, what is going on here? When we find in prophecy, uh, in the Old Testament, a picture, a, a um, key to what is going on here. So turn in your Bibles to Joel, so you can find Joel, chapter 3, verses 12
1: through 15. One of the prophets,
0: uh, the, the minor prophets, it's one of the smaller books in the Old Testament. Joel three, verse starting at verse twelve. Let the nations stir themselves up and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat. For there I will sit to judge all the surrounding nations. I still hear some pages turning. Oh, wait a minute. Joel three, verse
1: twelve.
0: He says, I will judge all the surrounding nations. Verse 13, put in the sickle for the harvest is ripe. Go in, tread for the winepress is full. The vats overflow and their evil is great. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. Notice that the judgment is described as coming in a valley. I think that's key to the interpretation then as we go back to uh, revelation 14 so in the old testament and throughout scripture this um, reaping the harvest with a sickle is a definite um, sign of god's judgment and a picture of god's judgment a terrible one for sure one that is effective and this angel will now through the last judgments that god will allow and pour out on the earth um, the The final great wrath of God will be poured out upon this evil world, and it will be dealt with in finality finally, but folks, it will be terrible and you can imagine as the picture here is of the wine press, and the wine is red, what that means, and so in verse twenty it makes it even more specific and the wine press was trodden outside the city now we have some very geographical specifics here and blood flowed from the wine press as high as a horse of bridle for it says 1600 stadia that's about 200 miles awful picture here and we read this and we say well what is going on isn't isn't this kind of hyperbole or or symbolism for obviously in judgment um, God's enemies and the people that have rebelled against him, they're just referring to their blood as they war against him and how oh, the lamb will have victory. Um, and really, uh, one commentator put it this way. I thought this was helpful. As God's people are his vineyard to produce fruit of righteousness, that's the vineyard that Jesus reaped. The earth's people are another vineyard that produces evil fruit, and their evil fruit needs to be dealt with, and God will do that. But specifically, let's go to verse 20. What is this talking about? Outside the city, there's only one city, really, uh, that gets this kind that's referred to as the city, as the ultimate city, and that is Jerusalem. So this really has to be Jerusalem. And for this then to happen, it's obviously an actual event where this terrible thing will take place. And what we're going to see in upcoming um, chapters is a final battle uh, between the kings of the earth and the beast and christ uh, and his people and you can probably even uh, think of of the name of that in the valley of where that takes place the battle is called the battle of armageddon it seems as this is best symbolized here that he's referring to this because the lamb it says that his robes will be um covered in the blood And so this is terrible a picture as this is. It shows that the enemies of God will be dealt with in a very vivid and direct way. Now, is this symbolism? Is this hyperbole? Well, actually, there's a good chance that it's not, as terrible as that may seem. Let me give you another uh, quotation from a scholar that I read often. His name is Thomas. He says, this distance, that 200 miles, is the length of Palestine, which is approximately 184 miles. Also, the Valley of Megiddo, where the um, Battle of Armageddon will take place, where the war will occur, is in the northern part of Palestine and rains into the Jordan River. This allows the necessary distance for the prophecy to have a literal fulfillment And as we get more details later on in Revelation of this battle, there will be so many kings and people involved that it literally could involve this kind of of terrible blood flow. It's awful to think about. But God's wrath against sin, folks, is that terrible. He means it when he says he will deal with sin and Jesus will deal with his enemies in a final way. This harvest of judgment will be terrible. But at the same time, now we get to chapter 15 and we're about ready to get more details from than just the previews that we had in Revelation 14. So now we're back um, to the sequence, the normal sequence of events. And if you'll remember, every time that we get to another section or segment of the judgments, this is the last one, there is a time of praise and worship before the throne. And that's what we see here in Revelation 15. They're getting ready for the final judgments, the bold judgments. Chapter 15, verse 1, we're going to see his wrath will be demonstrated in completion. This will be the last of the judgments and God will have his wrath completed upon the earth. There is an end to this, folks, as terrible as it is. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing. Seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last. These complete the pouring out of the wrath of God, for with them the wrath of God is finished. There is an end, and then there will come great mercy and grace. In the meantime, though, there's something interesting that the people of God do at this time as they realize that these final plagues these final judgments bold judgments are about ready to take place as they sing a song of praise again we may say well this is this is terrible why would you sing because again the vindication of god's truth that god's people have proclaimed have you ever tried to proclaim the truth of god and been rejected or just laughed at or or mocked or you see on the news um, and in the media where God's truths are mocked. And it frustrates us because we, in our core, we know these are true. And as terrible as these judgments are, folks, there will be a sense of we, we were right. God will vindicate his truth. He said he would do it, and he's going to do it now. And that will cause us to praise him. So we have this scene of praise then. Verse 2 I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire. Remember that sea of glass before the throne of God? Well, now it's mingled with fire. And that again is a picture of judgment. And also those who had conquered the beast and its image and the number of its name standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hands. I think this is a great picture here. I believe these are the 144,000. And representing all of those that were martyred the the followers of Christ that were martyred during the tribulation, but notice how it describes them. They conquered the beast. These were faithful witnesses for Christ that on earth it seemed the beast conquered, and he um they lost their lives because of their stand. But in actuality, here is, God's truth kind of um, always turns upside down our own human thinking. Those folks weren't losers. They were the conquerors because they will have eternity with Christ and be able to enjoy him forever. So those martyrs, as terrible as the concept is for us to lose our life for preaching and proclaiming Christ, those same people are actually the conquerors. They conquered. The beast thought he won. He didn't. He's conquered. And its image, that crazy um, idol that the false prophet displayed and made talk, and the terrible, that number that um, that we said represented the name of the beast. All of these things that seemed like they were overpowering God's people in actuality. They are conquered and done away with in God's judgment here. And these victorious saints that are victorious through what the Lamb has accomplished are standing beside or really it it, it could have the idea of really on the sea of glass. Remember we said that might be an area of worship before the throne. And they have harps. Harps, even in the Old Testament, were traditional um, instruments of worship. And so they're included again here. Maybe this is where some people got that crazy idea about the cherubs and the clouds with harps. But of course, the Bible doesn't describe that. These harps will be something to hear. They'll be wonderful. And they're there, they're praising the Lord. In verse 3, they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. Now, we read that this morning from Exodus 15. That was a song of victory in God's Deliverance of his people from Egypt, from captivity, through the plagues that were a precursor to this final judgment. And you, as we read, as Paul read that this morning, the joy of God's people in being released and they're headed toward the promised land. Well, think now of the joy as these people are singing the song of the lamb and they're singing of deliverance, final deliverance from all death and sin and satan it'll be even more joyous than the people of the old testament that were uh, rescued from egypt this will be a song of joy and it says the song of the lamb here because it uh, is about the lamb and all that he has accomplished i think there's another aspect here as well as we hear again uh, below about the elders remember we had the 24 elders that were around the throne You had um, the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 representative of the 12 apostles of the New Testament, the Old Testament and the New Testament. And now you have a song of deliverance from the Old Testament and a song of deliverance, a new song about the lamb representing the New Testament. I think all of this uh, fits well together. Regardless, here's the song. They say, great and amazing are your deeds. Oh, Lord God, the Almighty, and since this is a song of the Lamb, they're referring to Jesus as Lord God, the Almighty, the Almighty, the all-powerful one who will have victory over his enemies and who will judge his enemies. And they're saying, great and amazing are your deeds. These specifically are the deeds of judgment that God is going to pour out, his wrath, and they're rejoicing in it.
1: Excuse me, I um because God's justice and holiness is revealed through His judgment, they continue that's why they say just and true are your
0: ways, O King of the nations, again, revelling in the fact that these deeds are righteous. That God is right in sending this judgment and pouring out this judgment on the earth. God is right in allowing that to happen. And he is true to his word. He is the king of all the nations. That means that nations that try to rise above him in their own power and try to follow the uh, beast and his henchmen are destined for defeat. Because they can't defeat the king over all the nations. That's ludicrous. It's ridiculous. And then verse 4, Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? And that's a question that expects the response, uh, no one. <laughs> when God's judgments are poured out, we see afterwards that the people then, those that are left, will turn to him. It says, For you alone are holy. Certainly, the concept of holiness has to do with purity and separate from sin. But this really, it's that, but even more so, it's God's uniqueness. God, you are unique in your purity and your power and your holiness. And after these judgments take place, the world will realize and all nations will come and they will worship you, including God's people, will finally And remember, this is this is one of the purposes of the tribulation for the nation of Israel to come and recognize their Savior and worship him. For your righteous acts have been revealed to the whole world. It has been revealed that, yes, the lamb is righteous, that he's right in all that he has done. And the world will come to him and worship him and bow the knee. And that will be the result. So as terrible as we get into um, chapter 16 and hear about these terrible judgments, these final judgments, um, it will still be a vehicle for people to recognize the Lord God Almighty, the Savior Jesus Christ, and turn to him. So in the midst of these terrible things these wonderful things will take place and God's people will sing this glorious song of deliverance and we will be there too singing that folks and it will be joyous we're on the right team we're on the right side it may not feel like that sometimes but read chapters like this and remind yourself don't be intimidated boldly proclaim the truth of God well it continues because God's wrath is demonstrated in its completeness, and His completeness is worthy of worship of His wrath, but also his, the completion of His wrath is appropriate, and it's been prepared. God has prepared it; it is measured out. And as we finish up chapter fifteen, we see this first, first five, <clears throat> five. After this, I looked, and the sanctuary of the tent of witness in heaven was opened. And out of the sanctuary came the seven angels with the seven plagues, clothed in pure bright linen, with gold sashes around their chests. And uh, John now sees this heavenly sanctuary, and it says the tent of witness in heaven. And this is the witness of God's commandments. And so um, this seems to have an emphasis on um, the Ten Commandments. If you remember, uh, the the, um, Ark of the Covenant that included the Ten Commandments uh, seems to be in view here. And this focus on obedience to God's word is important because it's going to show that because many people have rejected and not obeyed the commandments, that now they face judgment and so these angels come from the very inner sanctuary, the Holy of Holies of God. These seven angels are prepared. They're clothed in this pure, bright linen, golden sashes around their chests, rather like we saw Christ pictured at the beginning of all of this. And they are his representatives. They represent purity. They represent um, spotlessness. And the gold sashes have that same idea of, um, of of purity and readiness to do God's will. And so they come and really think of this as like a slow, dramatic, somber processional. If you've ever um, seen military processionals like this, like the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier, and seen how they very carefully step and they prepare things. And it's a very sobering, very serious time. Even in our communion here and in many churches, there is a, um, there is a process where our deacons and, and many will, will pick up the plates and they'll carefully pass it around and then they'll give it to the pastor and the pastor will pass it back to them and give them. And the whole thing is a atmosphere of um, careful of seriousness and reflection. And that's really what this is supposed to be. As these angels come forth, it's a dramatic, slow processional that causes us to meditate on the fact that the terrible judgment of God's wrath is about to be finally poured out, and to really think on that. And then um, we see that God's judgment has been carefully prepared. Verse 7, one of the four living creatures, remember the cherubim, gave to the seven angels, seven golden bowls, full of the wrath of God, who lives forever and ever. And so uh, these, um, almost like again, what we do in communion, as I give um, the plates to the deacons, they give them back to me. These from the cherubim are given these bowls of this, almost this, this poisonous, this Um, destructive wrath of God that will soon be poured out on the earth. And they're prepared to do this. And then verse eight, the sanctuary was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one could enter the sanctuary until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. This is God saying in my judgment, um, I will pour this out on the earth, and those that are experiencing this will not have fellowship with me. They'll be separated from me and my glory. And the smoke is often um, pictured as the judgment of God as well. And in this judgment, people will not experience, those that have rebelled against him will not experience fellowship with him at all. It will be full judgment. They will pay for following after his enemy. And yet for those that are witnessing this, that are praising him, they are vindicated because they see the evidence. It's not just faith, but it's now sight. They, that we, were right all along. And so in the midst, as we prepare for these terrible judgments, now I know that leading up to this, we get to this point, and it's like, okay, what are those judgments? Well, we're going to wait till next week and see chapter you can read ahead if you want if you're really interested chapter 16 we will see the judgment these bulls of wrath poured out the wrath of the almighty is real and god's wrath over sin is real folks and he will deal with it but think of the mercy that he has given us think of the mercy and the grace That we have so many opportunities to turn and not have to be a part of this time at all. And so these people and all of the opportunities that they've had to turn to Christ, they, as terrible as it seems, they are fully um, um, responsible and deserving of God's wrath. Thankfully, we don't have to face that. All you have to do is turn to Jesus Christ. You can be one of the victors, those that conquer God's enemies along with Christ. I'd much rather be a victor than face these terrible bowls of wrath. And for all of us that have trusted Christ, we will be with him in victorious. He will keep us as we saw at the beginning of uh, or in Revelation chapter 14, verse 14 through 16. He will deliver us from this time and protect us. And that's where we want to be. So in the midst of God's wrath, remember that it vindicates his righteousness and holiness. And for God's people, it is a time that shows that they were right and they can still worship and revel in that. Father, we're grateful for these reminders. These things are are truly disturbing in some ways. Because it's hard for us to imagine you in in wrath in many ways, and yet your wrath is justified and it is needed against sin. You would not be right if you did not judge sin. And so we are thankful for these reminders and we worship you, knowing that you are the great judge and the one who will eradicate sin. And rebellion from this earth. We look forward to that one day. We know that you will judge. But it will be completed. And then you will usher in the kingdom. A new heaven. A new earth. And people will return to you. What a glorious time that will be. We look forward to that Lord. In the meantime help us to warn people. That they will not face this judgment. Help us to show them the truth of Christ. To see them turn to Jesus. And escape all of this. And we need your help for that Lord. And so we ask for that. For it's in Jesus name we
1: pray. Amen.